All right. Tonight in uh, One Story, as we continue the series One Story, we're going to go on a trip. We're going to go on a trip. So we're going to travel with Israel as they move towards the promised land, which means we're going to have to get into some geography. So it's map time. A lot of you people like maps. I love maps. Uh, now, the, the people of Israel were in Egypt, in slavery in Egypt, and we're, they're going to go, we're going to go with them up to their promised land, which is called Canaan. It's a real simple trip. Here's how God put it when he uh, talked about this. He said, I've come to bring them out of Egypt into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. Only bad thing is they have to go through the Sinai Peninsula, which was not very pleasant. To put in contemporary terms, it would be like if you had to go from Orlando to Miami, but you had to go by way of New Jersey. Not ideal. <laughs> now, the Sinai Peninsula, where they're going, about 200 miles from where they lived in Egypt to where they're going to go in Canaan. Now, it's a, there's a simple route to get there. Everybody knows that the shortest distance between two points is? Straight line. Very good. You're paying attention. Very good. Um, there was pretty much a straight line road back in those days. It was an international trade route that was called the Way of the Philistines. Uh, it's, it's a real road, uh, historically. Um, this is kind of the scenic route because this road went right along the Mediterranean Sea. In another historical document, it talks about it, call, it calls that road the Way of the Sea. So it's the Way of the Philistines, the Way of the Sea. It would be a short trip, a matter of weeks, not months. If you get down to it, it's really just kind of days. But we run into something very surprising in Exodus chapter 13. Here's what it says. When Pharaoh let the people go... God didn't lead them by the way of the Philistines. That's this road that goes along the sea. Although it was nearer, for God thought if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. Now this road, because it was very strategic, it was also very heavily fortified. Uh, the Egyptians had a very large military presence there. And God knew the hearts of the people of Israel. He knew that they were frightened and that they were timid and they just didn't have much faith. And if they ran into opposition, they might turn around and go right back to Egypt as if they would be welcomed there. <laughs> but he doesn't send them on this way, the way of the Philistines, even though it was the fastest and the most direct route. No, he doesn't do that. There's another road that went from where they were when they crossed the Red Sea, went almost directly south. So they crossed the Red Sea and it takes them on their journey. He takes them on this road, which is known as the way of the wilderness. Say that with me, the way of the wilderness. A pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire is going to lead them night and day. And we know about how long it took to get from where they were down to Mount Sinai, where they spent a little bit of time. And then from there back up to the entrance to the area called the Promised Land, which is this area called Kadesh Barnea. It takes, uh, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, it takes 11 days to go from Oreb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, 11 days to go from Oreb to Kadesh Barnea. It's an 11-day trip. You know how long it took them to get to the promised land? 39 more years. 39 more years. Here's the lesson. God is not in a hurry. <laughs> Say that out loud with me, would you? God is not in a hurry. This is difficult for us sometimes because speed is not God's primary concern. For us, it tends to be. Anytime a family goes on vacation, they got kids in, in the back seat, little kids will ask a question. They will ask it often. The longer the trip is, the earlier they will start asking the question. And the question, of course, is, 
Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And parents look forward to the day when their kids mature and they become a little bit uh, more patient and there's no more silly fighting over uh, spatial violations and no more whining about where they're going to stop for lunch. But the problem is, lots of us grow up, but we never really grow out of that mentality. We don't get much different. God, get me this job. Get me this house. Get me this relationship. Get me this phone. Get me this financial condition. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Where is my promised land? Where's my promised land? But God knew something. He knew something about his children. And he knew that where they were going was not nearly as important as the kind of people they were becoming along the way. In other words, that having a land flowing with milk and honey was not nearly as important as having a heart that flows with love and justice and courage and faith. Having a portfolio that's flowing with dollars or having a job that's flowing with power is not nearly as important as having a character that flows with the fruit of the Spirit. And God knows that. God kept his people in the wilderness because there were certain lessons that they needed to learn and they needed to learn it there. The wilderness doesn't have a whole lot of distractions, you know, not a lot of things to pull you away from God. People are much more likely to pay attention to God. So throughout God's word, we see lots of people spending extended periods of time in the wilderness. So today, you and I are kind of going on this journey with them. We're going to learn some lessons from the wilderness. So we come to Exodus chapter 15. Remember, the Israelites have just been delivered from uh, slavery in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea miraculously. God's given them miraculous redemption. And here's what happens in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses. Now, you would think that coming right out of this miraculous deliverance, God just delivered them from Egypt, from slavery, performed these 10 miraculous plagues on their enemies, drowned Pharaoh and his army, you'd think that their faith might be at a pretty high level. But no. Three days God's at the wheel and their kids are complaining in the backseat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? So now they've got, they come to this place uh, with, there's, an answer that comes from God. God tells Moses, just throw a piece of wood in this water and the bitter water will become sweet. In other words, become drinkable. So God miraculously provides here water for them to drink. So now they have freedom. They have miraculous guidance and direction. They have supernaturally provided water now. You think they'd be freshly reminded to be faithful and content or not. (laughs) Chapter 16, verse two. In the desert... The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Think about those words. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There in water, I mean, there in Egypt, we sat around pots. Not just we didn't have meat. We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Okay, anybody remember what their occupation was in Egypt? They were slaves. They were slaves. They didn't just sit around nibbling fondue all day long. They were, they were driven hard by taskmasters. These people are turning complaint into an art form here. Now, 
Listen, one of the things that discontent does, it plays with your mind and it distorts your perspective. And you exaggerate how bad your condition is and you look with rose-colored glasses at how things used to be or how someone else's situation currently is. That's what's going on here. All right, verse eight, Moses says, in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he's heard your grumbling against him. You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we, Moses and Aaron say, who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Okay, there's a recurring word in this passage of Scripture there. Anybody catch that word there? The word is grumbling. Grumbling. Over and over and over. Several times it says, the Lord heard their grumbling. Now, we have, expect God to get upset, maybe get angry here, but he's so gracious. He just keeps providing for them. Now, in verse 13, that evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Now, this name becomes an inside joke to the people of Israel. Because in Hebrew, manna simply means, what is it? They didn't know. So, what do you want for breakfast? I'll have a bowl of what is it. Okay? Or they call it by its street name. What it is. Okay? Sorry. Verse 17. Verse 17, everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one, is a, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Delicious, huh? So here's the manna principle. Maybe there's nothing else you need to take away with you tonight but this. Here's the manna principle. One day at a time. One day at a time. Say that with me. One day at a time. God will provide for you one day at a time. Trust God for this day, this day. Some people got anxious. Some people got greedy. Some people thought they'd get real clever and try to outwit God. But God had something very, very important to teach them, and it's this manna principle, one day at a time. God says, I just want you to learn to live by trusting me one day at a time. Just this day. Just learn to trust me for this day. If you start worrying about tomorrow, you will worry your whole life long. And some of you need to hear that tonight. If you start worrying about tomorrow, you're going to worry your whole, your whole life long. Jesus himself is deeply influenced by this principle. Remember the essential prayer that he taught his followers to pray. He taught his followers to pray for what type of bread? Daily bread. Daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. It's manna. So it's, it's God, meet the needs I have this day. I don't ask for guarantees about tomorrow. I don't ask for answers to questions that I'm not being asked yet. I don't ask for the ability to cross a bridge that I haven't reached yet. 
God, I trust you for this day, this day right here. It's what I try to do, but sometimes I get preoccupied with me, and I'll bet I'm not the only one in the room that has a tendency to do that. So here is our challenge for this week. Learn to live according to the manna principle, according to the manna principle. You'll be tempted this week. At some point in time, you're going to be tempted to worry, to worry about your future, to worry about your money, to worry about COVID, to worry about your marital status, to worry about your kids or worry about your job or worry about something you think you just have to have. And then you get anxious about it. So instead, when any of those thoughts or feelings come up this week, just turn to God and say, God, manna for today. Say that with me. Manna for today. Give me enough manna for this day. Give me what I need for this day. Give me the wisdom I, I need for this day. Give me the wisdom. Give me the patience. Give me the courage. Give me the favor that I need. Give me the love in my heart that will sustain me this day. And when that worry alarm goes off, because it does, God, I trust that you'll be with me. I trust you. Manna for today, Lord. Manna for today. That's what God wants to teach his children in the wilderness school. Trust and patience. Trust and patience. But his children tend to be slow learners. Okay, we're told in Exodus 24 that Moses is on Mount Sinai with God for 40 days and 40 nights. All the people have to do is wait. That's all they're asked to do. Wait. Patience and trust. They're not hungry, they have manna. They're not thirsty, they have miraculous water. Exodus 32.1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. As for this fellow Moses, notice the language there. Wow, this fellow, that's kind of a distancing thing, isn't it? Whatever happened to old what's-his-name? <laughs> Anybody know a guy named Mo? Anybody remember a guy named Mo around here? Well, the key word there that they speak is this word go. Make us gods who will go before us. They don't want to wait. They're not interested in God's timing. They don't care that God has very, very good reasons for wanting them to wait a little bit longer. They just want to get out of the desert. They want to get to the milk and honey place. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? They'd prefer a made-up God that they can manipulate rather than a living God to obey. And a lot of us can be like that. With a God that we make up, we can kind of control, manipulate, we can get our way. And amazingly enough, Aaron here gives in to the people. He knows better. He knows better, but he gives in anyway. He won't stand up to them. So he fashions for them a golden calf, an idol, a fake made-up God. This is just incredible irony happening here. Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God. He's entering into a covenant with God about holy living, and simultaneously the people of that covenant are down below worshiping a false god, a golden calf, an idol, and they're participating in pagan practices that God is trying to lead humanity out of. It's all happening at the same time. It's unbelievable. And after all this, God, in essence, says to Moses, that's it. That's it. Moses, go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. This kind of rebellion is going to end up in the destruction of the whole community, and I don't want that. 
And then the prayer of one man changes things, as so often happens in God's word. Exodus 33, 15, Moses says to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't even send us from here. In other words, Moses is saying, you know, God, even though you're offering to send us into the promised land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey and security and peace and affluence, you've given us your commandments and your holy guidance. But God, I would rather live here in the desert with you than in abundance without you. And that's like, ding. And God says, well, all righty then, Moses, I will go with you. I will go with my people. But they're slow learners, and things just keep going downhill. Ever notice when people are together for a long period of time and they're at close range, they tend to start getting on each other's nerves? I mean, even good people, people on a missions trip, people on a family vacation. Imagine a family vacation that lasts 40 years. No, thank you. <laughs> I've been in the back seat of the station wagon on family vacations. No thank you, 40 years. Well, this brings us to this great crossroads in the wilderness experience here. Numbers 13:1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. So Moses sends out 12 spies, and they have to go out and check out Canaan, the, the promised land. Also go check out the armies that they're going to have to face in the future. They come back a little bit later with their report in Numbers 13, 27. The, the spies come back and say, we went into the land which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey, saying, you're right, it's awesome. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. This is the, these giant, massive men of old. Verse 31, they say, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. It devours them. Faithless people speak negatively. Remember that. They can't help it. Faithless people, faithless people speak negatively. It just overflows out of a negative heart. Okay, now two of the spies... Joshua and Caleb, they come back with a very, very different report. In verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. That's faith speaking. We can certainly do it. But the people in the wilderness don't believe it. They won't believe it. They don't believe that God's protection will be enough for them. They've never really recovered from the slave mentality. As far back as they can remember, all they've ever been is someone's slave. No dreams, no visions. And the tragedy is that generation would never see themselves as anything but slaves and small and insignificant. They were never willing to trust God for this great adventure. Never, never. So God finally says to them, okay, okay, you don't have to go. You get your wish. You can stay here in the desert. The next generation will be able to believe. I'll send them. They'll be able to believe. Now you must stay here. Now you must. Okay, so God's given them their wish, and now he's made it a command. Now you must stay, he says. The adventure of what could have been 
entering into God's promised land, they will never know. They'll never know. Now, I point this out because there are some folks in this room whom God is calling on an adventure. He's asking you to step up, to believe, to step out. Maybe it's an adventure in ministry, involvement in ministry. Maybe God's asking you to lead a small group of believers into growing stronger in their faith. Maybe it's something with your family, something with your business. Maybe it's an adventure in giving. Maybe it's a step out and starting to tithe with what God gives you. And you're this close, you're this close. But something inside you says, I look in the mirror and I'm not adequate. I'm not strong enough. Well, of course you're not. Of course you're not. But God is with you. The question is not whether you're strong enough. The question is simply this. Are you willing to trust God one day at a time? Will you do it? God is with you and he will provide for you. Remember the manna. Remember the manna. When you wake up in the morning, God is with you, and God will provide for you. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to carry those words with us this week. These words, God is with me, and God will provide for me. So say that out loud with me, would you? God is with me, and God will provide for me. One more time. God is with me, and God will provide for me. You believe that? I do. And I believe you do too. I want you to bow your heads and we'll pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you allow us to have a light shine down upon your interactions with your people. And we see your heart behind it. How you want to take us into more, into better, into higher, into closer. Lord, Help us with our faith when we are like those children in the desert and we don't want to believe and we want to shrink back and we want to clutch to something that's familiar. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage and the power that comes from you to pry our grip off of what is so safe to us and help us to step out. You have good things for us. You have, your heart for us is ahead. It's moving ahead and there's things that, that scare us, Lord but you want us to step out in faith and trust you anyway. Help us to remember, Lord, the manna principle, one day at a time. Help us to wake up in the morning and know, Lord, that you are with me and you will provide for me, that you are with me and you will provide for me. You're a good God and we can trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.